BMO Capital Markets Chief Economist Douglas Porter has released a new edition of Talking Points titled Darkest Before the Dawn. Here is the full report. Welcome to BMO COVID-19 Insights. Visit bmocm.com slash COVID-19 for more up-to-the-minute insights. The views expressed here are those of the participants and not those of BMO Capital Markets, its affiliates, or subsidiaries. This week brought the first full-fledged detail of the heavy economic toll in North America from the pandemic. At the same time as the virus spread more aggressively and the expected shutdown timeline lengthened. Even in the face of this generally tough news on the economic and health fronts, financial markets took it mostly in stride, weakening moderately with volatility climbing off the mountaintop. The one true surprise of the week was a series of hints, including presidential tweets, that there may be a partial detente in the devastated oil market. As a result, the biggest move was a near 30% rebound in oil prices, taking West Texas Intermediate above $27, stabilizing the Canadian dollar just below $0.71, and helping the TSX to a small gain on the week. But that gain was an outlier, and the good news ended there. On the economic front, the turn of the calendar brought the first wave of March monthly data, which gave the initial read on the impact of the shutdowns. Given that the closures arrived in stages through the month, analyzing the results almost became an exercise in dividing figures into before and after. U.S. employment figures were the main act, with the staggering rise in initial jobless claims last week of 6.65 million the most devastating news. The fact that seasonal adjustment factors alone added 825,000 folks to the latest claims tally dulled the blow from the reported 701,000 decline in March payrolls the next day. Much less noted was that the Companion Household Survey reported a massive 3 million job loss for last month, easily the largest drop ever. Suffice it to say, these figures will all deteriorate much further in April even if they were already much worse than expected last month. While the job market is taking the immediate and obvious hit from the economic deep freeze, other indicators were mixed. U.S. consumer confidence stepped back by roughly 10% last month to 120, according to the conference board, but the index is still miles above the 2009 low of just 25.3. Auto sales crumbled 35% year-over-year to 11.4 million units, as strong first-half activity, fell to almost nothing in late March. Notably, the drop in Canadian auto sales was even heavier, down 47%, and consumer sentiment fell much further, reflecting a slightly earlier economic shutdown. Meanwhile, sentiment among U.S. firms last month softened only modestly for both manufacturers and services. The factory ISM dipped to 49.1, admittedly held up by supplier delivery delays, so the real number was closer to 45. The non-manufacturing index, shocked with a still solid 52.5 reading, also finding artificial support from supplier delays. Look for a widening split between manufacturing and services in the coming months, with the latter likely to take a heavier hit. That's a clear theme we've seen play out across other economies dealing with the physical distancing, and it's the exact opposite trend normally seen in a typical economic downturn. In more normal times, it's manufacturing that takes it on the chin, while services hold up relatively well. But the unique nature of this episode, and the mandated closures of many service sectors, has totally turned the tables. For example, the UK services PMI 
tanked to 34.5 in March, while manufacturing was 47.8. The euro area figures were even starker at 26.4 for services and 44.5 for factories. That's the kind of split we are likely to see in April in North America as well. Just as the nature of this recession is so unusual, services versus factories, the shape of the recovery is also likely to be quite different. No question, the conventional wisdom on the timing and strength of the recovery took a turn for the worse in recent days amid the tougher news on the path of the virus. And ultimately, the depth and duration of the downturn will be dictated by the virus. But the recovery may well be more forceful and somewhat faster than generally expected when it arrives because of this unusual split between sectors. There will be no inventories to work down in services. When they can open for business again, they'll be in a position to ramp up quickly. No doubt many industries will be facing a long workout period based on behavioral changes alone, think travel and entertainment, but the dramatic swell in fiscal measures should support spending in other areas. Looking ahead to next week, it's a lighter data calendar for the U.S., although jobless claims are expected to post yet another massive reading of just under 6 million. But as so vividly seen this week, financial markets have long since built in very ugly unemployment assumptions. The bigger question is how long the shutdowns linger, not how deep they cut. The much more secondary issue of falling inflation will be addressed by Friday's CPI read, and it's expected to show a sharp drop to around 1.5% year-over-year from 2.3%. It won't stop there on the way down. In Canada, the focal point will be the March employment data due on Thursday ahead of Good Friday. With the survey taken a week later than the U.S. jobs report, it is likely to sustain a relatively deeper hit than the weaker-than-expected stateside data. We have penciled in a 600,000 decline in jobs or five times the worst month ever for the LFS, which was a 124,800 drop in January of 2009. Again, we suspect the markets are now essentially numb and or fully prepared for such news. On the forecast front, for the first time in weeks, we have no significant changes to report. For oil, we had been assuming that eventually OPEC or Russia would buckle and had stuck with a call of $35 West Texas Intermediate for this year. That may still prove optimistic if a solid agreement on large output cuts, at least 10 million barrels per day, can't be reached at the emergency virtual OPEC Plus meeting. Elsewhere, the lack of a forecast change does not necessarily mark the end of revisions. In fact, with the timeline on shutdowns apparently poised to get pushed out further, and potentially much further, the growth estimates will necessarily need to reflect this as more information arrives. The offset is that fiscal policy appears poised and prepared to ramp up as needed to counter the deepening drag on incomes from the shutdowns, and presumably support a comeback in spending later this year. Another big adjustment this week was the budget deficit estimates in Canada. We noted that last Friday's sudden announcement of a 75% wage subsidy was going to carry a very large price tag, potentially doubling the deficit estimate in a stroke. And so it did. The 12-week program is expected to cost $71 billion, lifting new direct fiscal support to $105 billion, according to Finance Minister Morneau. That comes on top of an underlying deficit of $28 billion before any of this began, as well as the surge in costs and slump in revenues naturally flowing from the economic blow. 
We believe it's far too early to try to put a pin on precisely how big the deficit will be, but let's just say that the modern-day record of 8% of GDP, which translates to about $180 billion, is clearly at risk. If anything, that looks light. To those who are deeply and understandably quite concerned about this sudden and dramatic turn in the deficit, from 1% of GDP to over 8%, we would say four things. First, what choice do we really have given the mandated shutdown of the economy? Second, it's much better that Ottawa shoulders the burden of almost all new spending than a hodgepodge effort by the provinces, especially in light of lower borrowing costs for the federal government. Third, on that point, Ottawa can now borrow at all terms of 10 years or less for under 0.7%, so the annual interest cost of an additional $200 billion may be less than $1.5 billion. And finally, the Bank of Canada is essentially financing the net new borrowing, at least for now, by buying at least $5 billion of GOCs per week. That QE could build to nearly $200 billion by the end of 2020. Thanks for listening. You can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. For more insights, visit bmocm.com slash COVID-19. This podcast has been prepared with the assistance of employees of Bank of Montreal, BMO Nesbitt Burns, Inc., and BMO Capital Markets Corporation. Together, BMO. Notwithstanding the foregoing, this podcast should not be construed as an offer or the solicitation of an offer to sell or to buy or subscribe for any particular product or services, including, without limitation, any commodities, securities, or other financial instruments. We are not soliciting any specific action based on this podcast. It is for the general information of our clients. It does not constitute a recommendation or a suggestion that any investment or strategy referenced herein may be suitable for you. It does not take into account the particular investment objectives, financial conditions, or needs of individual clients. Nothing in this podcast constitutes investment, legal, accounting, or tax advice, or a representation that any investment or strategy is suitable or appropriate to your unique circumstances or otherwise constitutes an opinion or a recommendation to you. BMO is not providing advice regarding the value or advisability of trading in commodity interests, including futures contracts and commodity options or any other activity, which would cause BMO or any of its affiliates to be considered a commodity trading advisor under the U.S. Commodity Exchange Act. BMO is not undertaking to act as a swap advisor to you or in your best interests, and you, to the extent applicable, will rely solely on advice from your qualified independent representative in making hedging or trading decisions. This podcast is not to be relied upon in substitution for the exercise of independent judgment. You should conduct your own independent analysis of the matters referred to herein, together with your qualified independent representative, if applicable. BMO assumes no responsibility for verification of the information in this podcast. No representation or warranty is made as to the accuracy or completeness of such information, and BMO accepts no liability whatsoever for any loss arising from any use of or reliance on this podcast. BMO assumes no obligation to correct or update this podcast. This podcast does not contain all information that may be required to evaluate any transaction or matter, and information may be available to BMO and or its affiliates that is not reflected herein. BMO and its affiliates may have positions, long or short, and affect transactions or make markets, insecurities mentioned herein, or provide advice or loans to, or participate in the underwriting or restructuring of the obligations of, issuers and companies mentioned herein. Moreover, BMO's trading desks may have acted on the basis of the information in this podcast. For full legal disclosure, please visit bmocm.com legal. To access our full disclosures for equity research reports, please visit researchglobal0.bmocapitalmarkets.com slash public dash disclosure slash.